Podcast and being a Tuesday and being kind of in our regularly scheduled programming is so to say it is an, also an episode of the Bitcoin breakout today we're going to talk about Bitcoin as freedom and how some people fear freedom and I can hear it already I'm not afraid I just know Bitcoin's going to zero old man yells at Bitcoin again I don't have time for it at all and uh, I'm not speaking to anybody specific, grumpy, um, but I am going to tell you right now, when I do these Bitcoin episodes, we usually have at least one special person and they show up to sit in the live feed chat and tell us all about how Bitcoin's going to zero while they, I don't know, pleasure themselves to an image of Peter Schiff. Um, if you hate Bitcoin, don't be here because that's what we're talking about today. Bitcoin. Now, if you're skeptical, I think this episode might be really, really useful to you in starting to understand Bitcoin as a bigger thing. So just real quick out of the gate, I will tell you that I came to Bitcoin about 2013. So I've been around a while. I've heard a lot of things. I've heard this going to zero. Bitcoin is dead stuff till it's boring. But the bigger thing is I came to Bitcoin for the main reason most people initially do. Number go up. Hey, here's this thing. It seems like it's anti-government, anti-central bank. It might work. It might not. It's not that expensive right now. It's got a limited cap, limited supply. Maybe it'll take off. I should probably have some of this just as a hedge against the potential for it to work out. And so I bought Bitcoin, and then I bought more, and I bought more. And I started doing affiliate stuff where I got paid referrals in Bitcoin and stuff like that. I started to build up a decent stack, and then Bitcoin took off. And then the whole altcoin explosion really hit. And I went into what we call today shitcoining. I bought a lot of different shitcoins. And that's anything but Bitcoin, by the way. And I did well. I would say 90% of my trades worked out to the positive. But with all that said, here we sit in 2023, 10 years later. And the only thing I can honestly say about all of it, the only thing I can honestly say about all of it, I regret every Bitcoin I didn't buy. And I regret every Bitcoin I didn't I, I uh, that I spent every single one. And I certainly regret every Bitcoin that I spent to buy shit coins, even when I made money with them. That in the end, had all I've done is, is do what I teach now, which is why I teach it now. Buy Bitcoin, stack Bitcoin. Don't spend your Bitcoin. If you want to spend Bitcoin, acquire Bitcoin to spend at the time that you spend it. So there's no tax implications. Right. Because I want it used. But once I lay it up, it's forever money. It's locked up. It's at least very, very long-term money. And if I if I had just done that myself, I would probably be going, hi, folks, this is Jack Spirko with the Bitcoin Breakout and the Survival Podcast today, coming to you from the micro-nation of Jackistan right now. Now, I've done well with it, but I would have done better. And so there is no time to buy Bitcoin like 10 years ago. But there's no better time than the present because we can't go back in time with it. And so I'm coming at it from that way today. And what made this happen over time was more and more I began to discover the real magic of Bitcoin was in what we call an immaculate conception. 
meaning that there are no founders. There's no Bitcoin foundation that's in charge of Bitcoin. There's no individual that you can send a subpoena to. There's no place you can send a shutdown notice. You can't make it go away. And you can't say, hey, this person here, you know, founded it and then pre-mined like a gazillion coins and now has benefited at the stake of others. And at the same time, the, the technology itself can be used to do things like move dollars from the United States and have them appear as pounds in, 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 in England. And you couldn't stop that either, really. Now, there was ways that you could do it kind of under the table and not stop it, but you could do it above board, and even that was doable through technologies like Strike. The Lightning Network evolved, which many folks that are tuning in today really, you know, still don't really get how innovative that is. And I watched more and more of the use case scenarios of the altcoins die, and the more I understood, based on first principles, there would only really be one that would act as money, because if you had one that was the best money, there was no reason to have any of the others. And that's why Bitcoin has remained dominant. And we have seen thousands, tens of thousands of altcoins that were going to be the next great thing come, go and die. And that's only going to continue. And some of the things that have happened recently have made that more the case. But, but what's kept me around and which makes me more bullish on Bitcoin now than ever that I have now taken the position number go up is the default. It's just it's going to happen. It's a it's a it's a it's an effect of the network effect compounded with the limited supply. I don't need to worry about it anymore. What I'm in it for now is freedom go up. We have the ability with Bitcoin to completely change the world. And that sounds pie in the sky, but it is the most hands on active thing you can do to fight back against people trying to control the world right now. There is nothing that compares to it. Hopefully, by the end of the day, that will make sense. I'm going to talk about some objections as to why people don't get involved or why they think it's all going to go away or whatever the hell else. And how it's, it, it holds no water when most people say it. We're going to talk about freedom being a responsibility and the risk that comes with it. Uh, we're going to talk about why gold lost the war today. Gold lost the war of being the world's money. And people say, it's just because fiat took over and the people just wanted it that way in central banks. Well, that had a lot to do with it. But there's a reason that gold was able to basically be shut down as the global monetary system. And Bitcoin is immune to that. We'll talk about that a lot more before we do. I do want to remind you that we do have sponsors who sponsor our show. Number one, they start nine embassy servers. How about being your own everything? That's what Start9 is all about. You want to run a Bitcoin node? It's really easy to do with Start9. You want to run a Lightning node? Really easy to do with Start9. But you can also run your own password managers, run your own end-to-end encrypted messaging, your own, not somebody else's. Store all your images in a way that's highly secure. And eventually, Start9 embassy servers are probably going to build their own daggone version of the Internet, something that you're going to want to be part of. It's up to you whether you want to have other people control your data and your access to it or whether you want to have complete control of everything for yourself. Be your own Twitter. Be your own bank. Be your own GitHub. Be your own GoFundMe and your own PayPal. You can do it all with Start9. Check them out today. And remember, they do a discount, 9% off for members of the MSB. That is a significant savings, especially on the uh, more powerful servers. Next up today, Ridge Wallet at the Ridge, Ridge.com, that is. Ridge Wallet came to me about five years ago. They sent me a wallet. 
It's right here. I carry it all the time. I have carried it every day since I put it in my pocket the first time. My billfold really does sit up over there on the counter. I'd have to get out of the camera to go grab it. I should do that someday just to show you it really is there. I love this thing. Titanium, it protects my, my identity because they have these RFID cards and everything now. Plus Ridge, as you can see on your screen, if you're in the live stream, has all kinds of cool EDC stuff now. You need to really check these guys out. And again, we have a discount agreement with Ridge Wallet for my members, 10% off everything that Ridge sells. So check them out today and start carrying a wallet with a little bit more style and a hell of a lot more minimalism. With that, let's dig into this. I want to start out with uh, one thing I want to say is if you have questions for me, make sure they're in all caps like Joe's here. I'll come back to you, Joe, but the answer is I don't know jack crap about Noster yet, and I need to learn about it. I just haven't had time. Uh, but if you have any questions for me, talking points, it is imperative when I'm a solo on a show and I don't have a guest and I can't really multitask as well, that if you want me to pay attention to your comment in the live feed, that you go in all caps and please don't use all caps unless it is something for me to comment on or a question for me to answer. That will help me from not confusing myself. Okay. Anyway, with that, um, I want to start off with one of the biggest reasons I hear people don't get involved with Bitcoin and why it holds no water. Why it is really, it is excuse making is what it is. It's excuse making. It's apathy. It's I don't understand this and I don't I don't want to understand this because then I would have to act or the the it's kind of like it's it, a person infers that in order to buy 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin, they have to understand every single thing about Bitcoin. Now, here's what I know about most of the people that say this. You have a 401k account. You have a job, a J-O-B instead of being self-employed. And you invest every week in that 401k. And about once a year, your money as a shareholder is wasted by the various mutual funds that you are holding inside that 401k because they send you a stack of books that really are nothing but maybe kindling for a fire because you've never read one in your life. And if you did, you wouldn't understand it. In your 401k, you're holding something like a growth in income stock, a international market stock, a blue chip. Uh, you know, these are uh, mutual funds, a blue chip and maybe a bond or something like that. And some allocation of 60, 20, 2010 or something like that. Right. And then if I said to you right now, how much money do you have in there? Money, of, many of you would say, I don't buy Bitcoin because I don't understand it. Would then I would say, so what are you what stocks are in your growth and in income? fund and you don't know. And I'd say, what is a mutual fund exactly? How does a mutual fund work exactly? And you don't know. I would say when a market crash is coming, does the person that manages the mutual fund you hold liquidate the stocks in advance so that you don't take a loss? And you might tell me yes, and you would be wrong because they can't do that. You don't understand a single thing about the largest investment that you have outside of maybe your house. And you're at peace with it every day. But when somebody tells you about Bitcoin, you need to know exactly how it's going to handle fees after the last Bitcoin's mined 50 years after you're going to be dead. It's ridiculous. And it is the mind attempting to defend itself against new information. And this is I'm not putting anybody down. This is something that's important to understand about human psychology. And it goes way beyond Bitcoin. I was listening to you guys that listen to the survival podcast side. You know that I've been really big into biochar lately. 
And I've been listening to every podcast and every interview I can find on biochar. And I was listening to a podcast yesterday that Lee Reich was on. I had Lee on my show 10 years ago. Really smart guy, PhD, absolutely done incredible work. But he's also like in his late 70s now. Comes straight out of regular you know, old school academia, written lots of books. His whole thing is compost, tea, and compost, right? So like most people in academia, they build their career being innovative. And at some point, you hit a crossover point in life. And when you hit that crossover point, you stop innovating and you st- you have this incredible history of what you've built. And now you begin to defend it. You defend what you know. And, and the, the casualty of that is what you will never know because you're so busy defending what you know, you don't want to let new information in. And this is what I left. This is what I what I what what I saw happen to Lee yesterday. Okay, when I was listening to that podcast, he was saying things that are absolutely fundamentally wrong. Fundamentally wrong. He was referring to trials that were done with biochar that are 13 years old that were flawed, and ignoring trials that were done like yesterday. He was coming from a point that if you had done an hour of investigation, you would have never said, and I can tell he was informed enough, he had done way more than an hour. His mind had simply taken everything that conflicted with what he was defending and pushed it aside and took everything. It's a basic perception confirmation bias, and it happens to everybody. And the older we get, the more prone to it we become. But some young people can be very entrenched with it in a specific area. And some older people can be highly immune from it. And what you'll find is the less specialized you are, the less susceptible to it you are. All right. Um, What I mean by that is when you are specialized into a single thing, a single area, for instance, Lee Reich, soil science. So this makes anything that disrupts that narrative really dangerous to your legacy in your mind. So a person that like they live and breathe money and nothing else, it might be hard for them then to accept Bitcoin, especially if they've benefited highly from the fiat system as it stands. Right. And there's so many people that say that that are very well informed. But most of the people that say I can't buy it because I don't understand it. You're invested in all kinds of shit you don't understand right now. And a hell of a lot more than the small amount of DCA that people like me are recommending you get your feet wet with. And remember, the person that comes to your place of employment from Edward Jones or American Express or Fidelity, whoever, and talks you in to putting down the maximum amount they can get you to on contributions to your 401k directly benefits because that entire account is under their management and that's how they're paid. And if you go out and buy one dollar or a million dollars worth of Bitcoin tomorrow, it does absolutely nothing for me. And I'm giving you that advice anyway. And I think it's important to like think about the source of the advice. And this is what I was talking about when I, I, I came up with a title for this, that some people are just afraid of freedom. So you have to ask yourself, why does this person who out of hand rejects, you know, Bitcoin, runs to an effigy of Peter Schiff and, 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 and pretends that they have gold when they don't? Why does that same person have a couple hundred thousand or a half a million or some people three quarters of a million or more, depending on how long they've been doing it, sitting in a 401k account that they can't tell you the first thing actually about it other than what the balance is done. And the reason is because some entity 
Some third party came in and said, I have blessed this thing. Your employer, the, the company selling you the, 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 uh, the vehicle, because that's what a 401k is, it's a vehicle, and the government saying it's good to invest. So you have to ask yourself, how much do you really trust those entities? How much do you trust Fidelity or American Express or any of these giant investment firms, right? Right? How much do you trust Goldman Sachs? How much do you trust those people? Probably not that much. How much do you trust your government? And so the only group in there that most people listening to this, still listening to it anyway, if you've made it this long, that you trust is maybe your employer. And then you have to ask yourself, if you really trust your employer, what do they really know about investing in uh, mutual funds or ETFs? And unless you work for an investment firm, the answer is probably they don't know anything. So you have the, the companies that provide the platform that are in it for a profit for themselves, and they make money when you lose money. So that's in their best interest to sell to you. You have the government that's proven itself completely incompetent at literally everything it does, and you have an employer who literally probably doesn't know as much as you do about what you don't know about. But I'll, I'll just keep you know, 10%, 5%, whatever of my income going into that every month because it's proven. Now, I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just drawing the analogy for you. How much do you really know about your other investments when you spend so much energy talking yourself out of getting involved with Bitcoin? Moving from there, I, I, there's another group of people that are switched on to something that should make them the biggest advocate of Bitcoin. And this is not last week's episode about preppers, right? This is people that are aware of what's going on with something called CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. And what these people are doing is they're drawing a false equivalency fallacy between Bitcoin and CBDCs. The two could not be more differentiated because one is decentralized Bitcoin and the other is centralized CBDCs. That's what the C is for, centralized digital bank currency. And so what they say is, well, this is what the government's going to do, and this is what the World Economic Forum's going to do, and this is what the elites are going to do, and this is what the banks are going to do, and they're going to use a digital currency, so I'm not going to. You sound like a moron. I'm sorry, but you do. You sound like a complete and total moron. It's like saying, well, the government's going to come out and they're going to try to take all our stuff using guns. So I'm going to fight them off with a slingshot. Because that's your silver coins, your junk silver, your cash, which is their money. All of that's their friggin' money, by the way. Right. That's all your outdated technology. If you're going to be in conflict or even have somebody as an adversary or a competitor, you need technology that's on the level of what they're using to compete with them. And if you don't have it, you're going to get run over. And Hunter's making a very good point here. Who has the keys to your 401k? The government, your employer, and fidelity. That's who. And the banking system. That's who. Who has the keys to your Bitcoin? If you're doing it right, we'll get to that in a bit. You do. Right? Don't think that your 401k is safe. And I'm not even talking about up and down market volatility. Don't think the government can't decide they hate you, they're angry with you, and they think you did something wrong so they can take your money. That's the thing about Bitcoin. It's defendable. But we need to have an equivalent technology to what they have. In fact, we need a superior technology, and it's what we have. 
And it is again, it is because it is a distributed, decentralized technology. So you can't kill it. You can't kill it. Bitcoin is like a game of whack-a-mole. Except you have one hammer and there's a thousand moles. And every time you hit a mole down in the hole, three come up out of the hole and bite you, turn into six and go back down the hole. And that's why you're already seeing from the United States government, the SEC, et cetera, Gary Gensler, kind of a white flag of surrender against Bitcoin while they're getting ready. And I'm telling you this, all of you guys, I got this shit coin and I got that shit coin. They are getting ready to start eviscerating the crypto space. And all of this time that we've been saying Bitcoin and crypto, and even when I was a shit coiner, I, I still told you that, like, you've got the casino over here and you've got the gold standard for cryptography-based digital currency over here. Bitcoin is not crypto. It uses cryptography, but it is Bitcoin. Everything else is just crypto. And you're about to see this happen. You are about to see this happen, and the FTX debacle will be the excuse used to go more draconian than you can imagine. And I would estimate within two years, 90% of the of the altcoins that people would say, well, that's legitimate, not just the, like, the stupid ones. Garbage can coin or, or monkey butt coin or whatever. Like the ones that people go, well, there's a use case for that. 90% of those will be gone because what's going to happen is they're going to come out with some form of legislation that says if you are a security in the crypto space, it's not going to be the same as going public as a stock, but here's the things you got to do. And unless they have a war chest and enough money and they don't want to just close down cash in and bail out, they'll fold. They'll fold and disappear. And take your money and run. Because that's what most of these things are, is that you, you come up with some shit, you spin out a fork or whatever, you get it on a few exchanges, you hire some asshole like BitBoy on YouTube as an influencer, and you pay him 40 grand, he pumps your shit, and then as the retail market kicks up, the founders start dumping all their shit into it and cashing out. Never happened with Bitcoin because it can't. It doesn't work that way. And it's the only one you can absolutely say that about. I still struggle with people that say there's nothing in the market that's decentralized fully and not a security other than Bitcoin. I, I, I struggle with that because any fork that was done without a pre-mine or a founder's reserve that doesn't have a marketing department, it would seem very hard to make the case that it is not equivalent under the law. But we'll have to let that play out. But we know which one already passes the test. Because we've been told and we've seen it. And what we need to understand is we're looking at this and people keep bringing up gold, but gold, but gold. Gold lost the war as the monetary instrument with which the world would conduct business by. And it's not going to go back. Okay? It isn't. Because it can't. Because gold is from a different time and place with different technology. How do I transfer $5,000 worth of gold from here to Tokyo without counterparty risk. How do I do that? And the answer is I don't. I don't. It's not possible. If you want to trade gold coins and silver coins across your fence to buy figs or chicken eggs from your neighbor, go ahead. And if it makes you feel great, if it makes you feel great, great. But the reason gold died as a form of currency is because we entered a digital age where things move at the speed of light 
To move at the speed of light, you must be weightless. You must be out of the gravity well. And gold, as we know, and so is silver, is heavy. So the ability to transact, to move money at the speed of light, is necessary to do business in the modern age. Additionally, the entire point is to avoid counterparty risk. Now, you have to ask yourself, if gold was such a great tool, not requiring counterparty risk, how did we end up with a gold-based banking system, and why would people take their gold to the bank? And the simple answer is because it was so valuable that it didn't make sense to try to transact in little tiny pieces of gold. So you put your gold in the bank, the bank issued script against it, and that way you could spend a dollar backed by gold. And eventually we put silver into the equation. Actually, silver came in, went out, came back in. It was complicated. But it's the same problem over again. In order to do business, especially in, like, this is not even the Internet and they have the problem. Now we have the Internet. We have international business. I conduct international business. Me, little old Jack Spirico, sitting in Hazel, Texas, has customers in New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, Japan. Right? I have customers in India. How am I going to do business in gold with them without a counterparty? And the answer is I'm not. So if I want the freedom and independence from counterparty risk, I need something digital that moves across light rails. Completely weightless. And gold and silver can't do it. And the, the mainstream economy, to get where it is today, needed that too. And gold didn't work for that either. And it's not coming back. And anybody that believes that it is, I'm not saying it won't be worth anything. I've talked about this before. I'm a diversified investor. I hold stocks, right? I hold real estate. I hold silver. I hold gold. I hold Bitcoin. I have cash. I have tools. I have stored food. I have a true diversified portfolio. I've built systems that produce food for me. I consider that part of my investments because that's a dividend that pays dividends forever. But it's not coming back as a global monetary instrument. It isn't. And as soon as you accept that, then you have to ask yourself, well, what is? Because clearly the fiat system we have right now can't continue. You can get a rebasement with these digital currencies from central banks, but it's still the same thing. It's just controlled differently. Maybe you can kick the can on total collapse of that system for another decade or two. So what else is there? And there is no what else. There is no second best. There is no number two. In the words of Michael Saylor, there is only Bitcoin. When it comes down to the thing you know you can bet your future on. And... One of the biggest reasons people are afraid of Bitcoin is because they are afraid of freedom. And I get people, oh, I'm not afraid of freedom. You don't know me. I'll go up my AR and I'll fight the whole damn world. Yeah, but you're afraid that you'll lose $100. Do you see how dumb that is? The person that talks that way is afraid they'll lose $100 that they'll spend to learn how to acquire Bitcoin, transfer Bitcoin, spend Bitcoin, and hold Bitcoin. $100 tuition. You can do it with 50 by the way. I'm just picking a number. It'd be 25 You can get the Strike app right now, buy twenty, put $25 in it, and send $25 to a Bitcoin wallet that you own using the Lightning Network, even though it ends up back on chain, and never actually buy Bitcoin. It'll just be Bitcoin when it gets there. You could do that for 25 bucks. 
You're not afraid of freedom, but you're afraid you're going to lose 25 bucks. The person sucking down their fifth freaking latte from Starbucks of the week is afraid they're going to lose 25 bucks, but they're not afraid of freedom. You are afraid of freedom. You just don't like hearing it framed that way because this is the reality with Bitcoin. You can lose all your money, even if Bitcoin never goes to zero. Because once you take possession of it, once you use a hardware wallet or whatever, and you take possession of your Bitcoin, there is no customer service number to call. There is no password reminder. Your odds of guessing your own passphrase are the same as a bad guy doing it, so you have to pick the right molecule in the known universe. It is a little scary. It's a little intimidating. But you can, you can, you can write down and protect 12 words. You can put it in, in more than one location. And this is why I recommend when you become a Bitcoiner, go buy 25, 50, 100 bucks. Get yourself a software wallet like Exodus or whatever you want, right? Send it to yourself. Make sure you back up your wallet. That means you have a copy of your passphrase. Install the freaking wallet on a different device. Stick the passphrase in. And watch the fact that it's in both places because it's actually not in either place. And you then have the confidence. And then there's a thing that will happen the first time you do this. Click. And for those of you that struggle with it, I want you to kind of think of it like iCloud. It's not. But I want you to kind of think of it that way. You go out and you buy a new phone. And you have years and years of pictures and messages and texts and all kinds of shit. That's on your iPhone, all these apps and everything. You get this brand new iPhone and you enter a password and a username for iCloud. And hopefully you're somewhere with Wi-Fi, right? And it might take a while, but all of a sudden you pick your phone up and all your shit is there. Now, how does that happen? It happens because while it is on your phone, it's also in the cloud. A Bitcoin wallet is almost like that, except it's never actually in your wallet. Wallet's a terrible name. A better word would be, a better phrase would be signing device. Bitcoin, all the Bitcoin that ever was and ever will be is in the blockchain. It's in the ledger. You have a way to access it. And so when you have that information, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter how many people hate you, how many times you've been sued, how much the government said they're seizing your asset. You control that information. But the other side of it is if you lose it, you've lost it. It is gone. And that's a big part of the freedom that people are afraid of. There is no one telling you, hey, this is a good thing. You can do this and we have your back. Even when those people don't have your back. There's also, you know what comes with that? There's no one to blame but you. You know in your heart that if you go out and buy Bitcoin today and you lose your your passphrase and you lose your money, you can't blame Jack Spirico. It would have never helped. You might do it, but you can't do it legitimately. There's a process for doing this. You follow the process. You have redundancy. You don't lose what you have. But if if you bought Bitcoin today and it went to $12,000 tomorrow and goes in half, you can yell at Jack Spirico. You can't really blame me because I'm not the government. I'm not FDIC. I'm not the bank. I'm not a giant corporation. So it's all on you to make your decisions about when you buy, how you buy, how you custody. This is very intimidating to people that have grown up where there's always a customer service department to call. You notice there is no Bitcoin customer service department? Doesn't exist. 
And, and this is why people need to start thinking differently about this. You have something that exists, whether I care or not, whether you care or not. It exists whether the government likes it or hates it or not. It won't go away. You can't kill it. And it's the best monetary instrument that we've ever built as a society. If we look at history, we know what happens next. It eats everything. It eats everything. And it is less than 1% of the developed world really has a grasp on this at this point. Next, um, if you don't self-custody, you don't own any Bitcoin. I think it's really important to understand that. If you have, what do you have Bitcoin? Yeah, dude. Where do you have it? I have it on uh, uh, Coinbase or I have it on PayPal or I have it on, you know, Kraken or I have it on whatever. You don't have any. You have an IOU. The company you are using as a broker says you are entitled to X amount of Satoshis. That's what you have. You have a promise to give you Bitcoin. It usually works out okay until it doesn't. You could end up on a list, flagged accounts. They can send a notice to the company that's your broker to freeze your accounts. They will freeze your accounts. They might even get your name wrong. It's happened. People have ended up on the no-fly list because they had a name of somebody else and they couldn't get on an airplane. Imagine it's that, except instead of not being able to get on your vacation, your money's stuck. And these companies, even the most ethical of them, will do it because they have to follow the law because it's a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. So like the most ethical company I know of in Bitcoin is Swan. Any company that automates withdrawals for you and has people that will walk you through it if you need help, right? That's ethical. Like they're, they're promoting self-custody to the point of we'll help you do it and we'll automate it so every month you have a certain amount coming into DCA and every month a certain amount goes out and goes to your own custody. And we'll make sure it always goes to a new address for you. And we'll help you do that as well. Incredibly ethical. But I flat believe if they got an email that, or a notice from the federal government that said, we want you to lock Jack Spirico's account, they'll do it. Which is why I buy Bitcoin and withdraw Bitcoin immediately. And if you don't do that, you don't own any Bitcoin. I have an entire article on how to self-custody. And uh, I'll have a link in the, in the notes today for the episode. It tells you everything to do. If the If all you do is get something like Coinami or Exodus and use a software wallet. It's not the best, but it's better than being sitting in a Coinbase account or a CoinEx account or any of these other companies. It's always better. Next step up would be a hardware wallet, which just means that you this inf- the information that you use when you use this is only available when it's plugged in, and you have to have this plus the software wallet to get things to to go out. The beauty of this, the beauty, and this is a Trezor, you pair this with the Exodus wallet, and you can open Exodus anytime you want and generate a receive address that will end up on here, but you can't send money off of it. So then you take this, you get yourself a good firebox, you put this in there, you make a backup of your phrase for this as well, you make two of them, you put them in two different secure locations. And then you have that redundancy and you have that additional security. Running your own node is great. I don't want to take anybody that I have to convince to even buy Bitcoin to that level today, though. But you need to self-custody. It's the entire point. People keep talking about being your own bank. This is all like the the BSV and BCH tards, right? Like that's about 
managing your own payments and all. Being your own bank is about custodying your own freaking money. This idea that we can't build payment networks for Bitcoin, that Bitcoin has to both be the thing and the end-all, be-all payments network is asinine. What's the dollar payments network? What's the, the U.S. dollar is the most successful currency, whether you like it or not, the most successful currency that's ever existed on the planet. I think its days are numbered, but up till now, it's had a hell of a good run. What is the dollar? Is there a dollar payments network? Or are there payments networks that transmit dollars? You know, Visa MasterCard is not the dollar payment network. It's a payment network for dollars that moves dollars. International wires are not the dollar network. They're a payments network that moves dollars. So something like the Lightning Network is a payments solution for Bitcoin, especially for high-frequency, low-dollar transactions, makes perfect sense. And I, I won't get into, like, a debate about it today or trying to explain exactly how Lightning works. I've done episodes on that. You can go to the BitcoinBreakout.com, put in Lightning in the subject line or the search bar, and you can you can listen to me talk about Lightning. I did, like, the third or fourth episode was all about Lightning. But it just works. And you don't have to keep custody of all your Bitcoin. If you use something like Wallet of Satoshi, and, you, you know, for that type of spending, you're talking about a couple hundred bucks. It's like the cash in your pocket. You don't sweat it. To me, at this point, the best thing you can use to buy things with Bitcoin for now is Strike. It's Strike. And it's because it has Lightning enabled. It also has on-chain enabled, but you don't have to actually buy Bitcoin to use it. One more time on this. I know I sound like a broken record for Strike. You deposit money as dollars. You leave it as dollars. When somebody says, I take Bitcoin, you say, would you like on-chain or lightning? If they look at you like this, huh? you say, okay, on-chain. Give me an address. If they say lightning, you'd say, give me an invoice. Boop. Send. And you pay them the amount they ask for. You send dollars, they get Bitcoin. And that is using lightning, even if it's on-chain. Strike is using lightning behind the scenes until final settlement back on-chain. It works, and it works every time. And it's just a better way to do things. And so that's a payment network. Strike is a payment network built on top of a payment network that's built on top of Bitcoin. And we're only going to see more of that. And all these calls for privacy and my Monero and what have you. Look, I like Monero. I like what it does. I like that it has a fairly significant network effect. I don't, however, know how it's going to be affected by this whole everything but Bitcoin is a security. I think it's a fairly defensible position, but being right doesn't make make, make you necessarily win against the government. Um, Bitcoin, we know what we get. And it's a safer bet now at 25,000 bucks, 24,000 bucks, 23, whatever it is today. It's a safer bet now than it was when you say you would have bought it if you would have known when it was a dollar. It's a much safer bet because it's a much larger, better defended network than it ever was back then. There was a real risk when it was a dollar or two or 25, it could have went to zero. That's when it was vulnerable. It's too late now. The monster is out and replicating itself. It's, it's, it's kind of an unstoppable uh, statement. You've got to absolutely self-custody.
We also have to start thinking about what the destiny is. This is something that's never happened before. A monetary instrument capable of harnessing excess energy and putting it into the best battery for the future that's ever been invented. And here's what I mean. No matter how you generate power, you will at times generate more than you can use and or store in a conventional battery. If you are just simply a guy with a bunch of solar panels on your roof running your house from solar, you will have days where it's really sunny. It's beautiful out like it is now. You're not running an air conditioner or anything. Even if you're tied into the grid, at this point, you're not drawing from the grid. Even if you're using grid power net gain every month, like you, by the end of the month, you generated 70% of the power you used and you bought 30% from the grid. Pretty good balance, by the way. Really good. There will still be times that you're generating more power than you can use in store during peak generation. If you're a giant company generating power for the grid, this is even magnified more. But just that little guy, right? Brian Harrington from Choice does exactly that. He has an ant miner. As soon as the battery's topped, right, and there's you just can't really do much for power for the rest of the day, the direct power from the solar panels kicks the ant miner on, and it mines until sundown. That's harvesting that energy. Now, he lives in California. I think he would get something like two cents a kilowatt. And the value of an ant miner in a pool right now is probably about 24 to 25 cents a kilowatt. Why would, and the only thing you have to think about is you have to pay back the initial investment on the mining machine. This is, this is what we call in permaculture and, and lifestyle design and systems thinking function stacking. Everything should do more than one thing. Let's look at another thing I've been talking about a lot lately, biochar. Now you're a farm. You have a significant, you know, market garden operation. You're running uh, a farm under two acres of greenhouse. Nice farm. Something scalable that a lot of people can get to if that's what they want to do. Uh, we actually have somebody coming on TSP soon from NRCS about grants for doing things like this and what have you. So you have this set up. Now, it'd be great if you could really harness the value in that greenhouse to where it really let you grow. Because people think you just put up a greenhouse and you grow through winter. Not exactly. Doesn't work that way. It certainly provides some protection from the elements, but you it can't be 20 degrees outside overnight and all your frost tender things don't die in a greenhouse without taking some extra measures. So one of the things people are doing now, they're tying into local waste streams. They're making biochar. They're using it to grow their own food for their own farming operation. But because it is a permanent soil amendment, they get to a point I don't really need anymore. Now they sell the biochar as a marketable commodity. To make biochar, we produce heat. We produce synthetic gas. We call it syngas. And we produce biochar. We produce something called wood, wood vinegar or liquid smoke. And all of those outputs have value, specifically the heat especially in a greenhouse. So we have a kiln running inside a greenhouse or we have a kiln running outside the greenhouse. We have pipes that take heat in the form of water into the subsoil of the greenhouse and warm the soil in the greenhouse so we can grow straight through the winter. Now we got some because we're, we're the the heat is now more the, it, the heat is not just paying for itself. 
it's now profitable. But we are going to have days when we don't need as much heat. We're going to have days when we have a surplus of energy. So we plug a bank of ant miners into that. And now a farm is producing biochar, producing wood vinegar, producing syngas, saving the syngas to run generators and other electrical needs, right? And when they have surplus energy, they're using it to mine Bitcoin. Now, what are the two technologies I just talked about? Home solar and small farm scale biochar have in common. What's the commonality? Decentralization. These are decentralized technologies that don't work well if you try to scale them up to a centralized solution. They really don't. They're, they're, they're specifically tailor made for individuals to deploy where they make sense on a market basis for their own needs and maintain complete control over them. Sound like Bitcoin to you? A decentralized payments system. A de decentralized money storage system. And they always will fit together some way if you're creative enough. And when we start looking at it that way and we look at our future and we start to have to asking ourselves, if we are going to reclaim our power as individuals from the beast that is centralized government and centralized oligarchy, the only way it will ever happen is with decentralized technology and decentralized nodes within a parallel economy working with each other. That's the future. That's all we've got. Because you can talk about all your other shit, all your other ideas, the Bitcoin people about their citadels, they're going to build a walled city, and that shit's not going to happen. Most of the people in the Bitcoin space that use the term citadel now, we've moved in our minds to the concept of virtual citadels, which is the type of thing I'm talking about. Freedom cells, freedom nodes all operating together with all these, you know, everybody doing the thing for themselves that makes the most sense for themselves and then exchanging their surplus with each other the way market economics is supposed to work. And the only thing that really empowers this fully is Bitcoin. It really is because it's the thing that's it is convertible around the world 24 7, 365 into just about any currency around the world. You know something else that does that, you let me know. And it, we also have to stop the binary thinking. You know, the whole, it's a store of value. It's a payments network. It can be both. It can be both a standalone payments network that for certain types of payments has a layer built on top of it like Lightning so that it's more efficient at that, or a layer like Fediment's built onto it for private banking between entities that act as decentralized nodes within the parallel economy and still be a payments network. Because if I want to send you 50 bucks, it's not that high a fee on chain. If I want to send you a thousand, the fee is meaningless. If I want to buy $25 worth of shit, I want to use lightning. But that doesn't mean that it's not also a store of value and being a store of value does not mean it's not capable of being a payments network. We live in this world, and God, folks, we have been so mentally programmed to believe that everything is binary. There's a conflict. Well, which side is the good guy? Usually neither. Usually neither. I talked about yesterday how I worked for a couple of years, right when I got out of the Army as a bouncer in a nightclub. I use that term loosely. It was a redneck country bar. And I had to throw people out. A couple of times a week, I had to escort somebody out. Very seldom 
was the problem a single individual? The the nuance became who is who is actually the bigger cause of the problem here? And who is unwilling to de-escalate the problem? If you thought like two guys were going to go at it and you went up and said, hey, guys, chill out. And one guy goes, look, man, if he ain't got a problem, I ain't got a problem. The other guy's like, I'm going to kick your ass. Okay, out the door. You're leaving. But usually there was something that caused that animosity between them. When two nations are doing it, they both did something. But no, we're programmed black hat, white hat, right? Black hat, white hat. One and zero. Pepsi or Coke. Gold or silver. Real estate or Bitcoin. Bitcoin or gold. Like this shit has to stop. This is, there's a reason they call what they put on your TV and radio and the internet now programming because that's what it is. And this is the single biggest coup they've ever had is to get rational, sane, logical people capable of multifaceted thinking to be willing to make everything in their life binary. What you have when you look at the Bitcoin network is a means by which people can do business across the globe at the speed of light in an uncensorable and totally secure way. What you do with it from there is there's a thousand things. I could just start rattling shit off we could be doing with this. I've talked about it before. We could build a navigation app like Waze that allows its users to compensate each other for letting them know about road hazards and you know things like speed traps and what have you. That would be one. We could build an application that allows people at a restaurant to let the next person coming in know, good restaurant, you don't want this server. Good restaurant, you really want this server. Right now, there's a 45-minute wait here, but there's a restaurant across the street that's also really good that's not on a wait. Like those are all things we can – those are all parts of the multifaceted application of what we can do. This idea that it has to be able to replace the Visa network by itself, replace the International Settlements Network by itself, and by a scone by itself all at the same time are ridiculous. Nothing else has ever done that. Why would Bitcoin be any different? All it has to be able to do is fit into various networks and applications that allow it to do those things. To be able to have protocols built for it so that it can it can do things we can't even think of yet. We have to stop thinking binary, and it's more than Bitcoin that I put that bullet point in for today in my show notes. It's in everything. You have to stop thinking binary when two nations are going into conflict, that one must be the evil. One must be the bad one, and the other one must be lily white and good. Even if one is better, whatever that means to you, it doesn't mean they're both right. Again, if two people getting in each other's face at a bar, if it is seldom the case that one is absolutely in the wrong and one is absolutely in the right, what are the odds that two nations are that way? When it comes to, well, you know, what do I do in my life? Should I have a business or should I have a job? Maybe it's not binary, right? Maybe there's actual use for the term non-binary instead of mental illnesses. Maybe it's, hey, you know, maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe I figure this out. Maybe I have other ways of generating income that aren't side hustles or entrepreneurship, but they're outside of the job world. Maybe it's an investment strategy. Is real estate holding and being a landlord really being a business owner? It is for tax purposes with other advantages, but it's not your typical business like mine that I have to see to every day. 
There's a lot of ways to generate income. We can also work on the outgoing side to a degree. So we have in all things, we have to get off of this idea of is it one or is it zero? It is the single biggest thing that they use to control you. It's the single biggest thing they use to control you. Think about COVIDs and how immediately two camps formed to the absolute extreme. And so everybody shouted at each other and nobody listened to each other. Think about any major thing that society has disagreed with and think about the people that were right generally were the ones that say, let's, let's figure this out. And both sides told them to shut up. That's generally the people, those are the people that can think in more than one and zero. So with Bitcoin and all things in your life, no more one and zero folks. If, if I get nothing else from you today, agree to that. Then work on it because it'll take some deprogramming to get it done. Um, people that say Bitcoin isn't going to make it, it's going to go to zero, the Peter Schiff's of the world, et cetera. Let me tell you something about these people. These were the same people in the mid-90s that said the Internet was a fad. They were the same people in the late 80s that said nobody would ever use a cell phone for their daily communications. They are the same people that yelled at the first person that made a fire with a ring of rocks around it. Just a different time in history. This is typical, and it's kind of where I started with, there will always be people that will cease advancing and seek to defend the thing that they have built their life on. Whether they've built their personal legacy or they've had success with it. And I think that for most people, again, I'm, not, I'm generalizing here, so don't get offended if you're older and it doesn't apply to you. Um, but it's about 55, it's about 55 for the average person, and it's probably going down in our society today where everything's been simplified down a microwave society. But there's a point where people, I just don't have time to learn anything new. I don't care. And if that person is not successful, then they're just miserable. But if that person is successful in the world, then they seek to defend, even if they believe themselves to be successful. They seek to defend what they have. Like I mentioned earlier about uh, Mr. Reich. I should say Dr. Reich and give him full credit. When he was attacking the, 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 the biochar movement and, and using incorrect information while at the same time being a smart enough person, he could know more about what it really does in a week than I could in six months. It's a defense of a legacy and a defense of what I've built, and I don't want to be bothered with these new things that I don't think are necessary. And it's it's something we all have to fight. And I think that the best way you can fight it is to become a polymath, a person who is kind of a modern renaissance man. Try to become well-versed in many things, and that way none of them become your sacred cow that cannot be slaughtered. Or the sacred calf that can't grow into a freaking meat steer. Okay? Yeah? But yeah, there's, there's been people saying this since the beginning. And my question for, for the people that are still holding out on this, how long does Bitcoin have to do what Bitcoin has done ever since it started before you'll admit that you were wrong? If Bitcoin's here in five years, will you admit that you're wrong? If Bitcoin's here in 10 years, Will you admit that you're wrong? If Bitcoin is here in 10 years and worth over a million dollars per full Bitcoin, will you admit you're wrong yet? You won't. And you'll probably say, man, if I would have only known back when it was $16,000, I would have bought a bunch of it. But you didn't. So, no, you would. There has always been people like this. 
And we are entering what I call Bitcoin spring as we head to the next halving right now. I, I personally think for this cycle, the bottom is in. It was somewhere in the 15.5 or something like that. I called it at 14.4, and I believe I made that call last summer for the first time, 14.4. It was basic mathematics, and I was within, what, 5%. Not because I'm a genius, because it's math. Because it's a mathematical pattern with a guaranteed distribution rate. And we have enough historical data now to look at it and go, oh, this is how it works. So about 430-ish days from now, the amount of Bitcoin being produced each block by miners will cut in half yet again. And we have, once we get to this point and we start to see after the market low, things ramp up from it historically – we have a bottom and that bottom becomes it. And that doesn't mean that it couldn't go down $3,000 this week, but I I'll make a bet with anybody here for a hundred bucks that it will not go in this cycle below the, the low that it's already placed in this cycle. And again, that doesn't mean we won't have volatility. We won't have up and down going through the cycle, but from here we're heading up. If you made me call the top of the next cycle, I'm going to say, historically speaking, if it was anything less than a quarter million dollars, it would be shocking. And it has the potential to be much higher than that. I'm actually being conservative with that estimate because I believe in each cycle, the volatility declines and the high and low becomes less. If you look at the volatility that Bitcoin had in its first cycle, it was insane compared to what we consider heavily volatile today. And uh, Grumpy says he doesn't think he's the target audience. Well, you know, there's 3,258 shows as of today. I'm sure there's something you can find. The target audience, though, for Bitcoin breakout, if you want to know, is people that want to protect their future. And if you take... The most powerful monetary instrument given to the average person and you discard it because you don't understand it or you're afraid of it, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's not hard and it's not complicated. Not what I'm talking about. Bitcoin itself, you have to have about 100 hours of research into it to even begin to understand that you don't understand it. And then a hundred more, you'll you'll understand a lot more, and you'll understand that you understood it even less than you thought you did before because it is so broad and so amazing. But when it comes down to being able to buy a couple hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin a month and self custody it, there is nobody listening to me that has the capability to listen to a podcast or a YouTube live stream that lacks the technical capability to do that. I'm sorry, you're full of it. If you don't want to do it, just say that. Just say that and then go do something else and we'll be here when you come back because Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin doesn't care what I think. It doesn't care what you think. It doesn't care what Michael Saylor thinks. It doesn't care what Gary Gensler thinks. It doesn't care what Joe Biden thinks or Donald Trump thinks or Charles Schwab or anybody else. Klaus Schwab, none of it. It doesn't care. It doesn't care that what's his name? Jergoff Jones. I can't think of his name now. Uh, the guy from... Uh, from Berkshire Hathaway, not 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 the main guy, the other guy. The guy's like 99. He just called it an abomination or whatever. Mother Charles. It, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit what he thinks. 
It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't care. It just does what it does. And it's up to you guys to figure out what to do with it at this point. But we are now on the other side of that four-year cycle. All you have to do is go look at that four-year cycle every epoch, what it's done before, and you, you, what you'll see is it's dramatically similar from epoch to epoch. They call each one an epoch, each four-year cycle an epoch in, 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 in the Bitcoin vernacular. Yeah, Charlie Munger, Charles, Carl, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. This guy here, like, he's 99 years old. He's a cotillionaire. What's a cotillionaire? The Cantillon effect. The closer you are to the monetary supply, the more money you make for yourself by reselling it to others, right? He's the epitome. He's the epitome of people that sucked money from other people, providing no real value. 99 years old. Can't fuck off to Florida and feed ice cream to seagulls. Still got to run his mouth. Still threatened by this. The fact that there's a 99-year-old cantillionaire Bad-mouthing Bitcoin, instead of going off and enjoying his retirement that he could have taken 25 years ago, who's a parasite on the average person, tells you they know they've lost. They're afraid. Imagine being 99 years old and feeling compelled to be involved in that. When you have so much money, you could literally buy an island nation and live there. Fear. Fear. Uh, John says I needed to stay low for another one and a half years. Not going to happen, John. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it isn't. And what we call low is it changes across time. I'll just say that. There'll be a time when people will be like, man, I hope it goes to 50,000. Man, I hope it goes down to 100,000. Man, I hope it goes down to half a million. Don't think I'm bullshit when I say that. Um, Joe says, good morning. What is Noster and how does it work? I'll give you what I know. I know what it is. I don't know how it works. So it's a protocol that allows people to share information kind of like Twitter. My understanding is you get a application and then you get a public and private key. And then whatever application you're using, it shares all across the Nostra network. And anybody with whatever app they're using can see into it. I have not taken the time to do this yet. I'm a busy guy. I can't do everything. It is not a Bitcoin thing, but it works with a public and private key, and Bitcoiners are really jazzed about it. They are that does already have enabled like for lightning tipping. They call it Zaps or something like where people can actually send Bitcoin via Lightning to each other and what have you. And it made me end up being an incredible threat to social media sites like Twitter and Facebook over time. Except it requires a level of kind of uh, technical know-how, even if it's not hard, because I don't think it's that hard. I'm going to probably this weekend figure out how to do it. And it probably won't take that long. But the fact that you have to figure out how to do it, instead of just like install the Twitter app, set up a username and a password, hit a confirmation email. Now you can use Twitter. Like, because it's not that, its network effect will be limited for a time until somebody makes it really, really super slick and easy to use. Uh, I don't know more about it. I have asked for a someone who is a subject matter expert on Noster to come on my show as a guest. If you are that person or know that person, let them know. They can go to the Bitcoin Breakout or the Survival Podcast, fill out the form, just click the tab that says guests, fill it out completely, 
It will go to me. I will look at it. I will eval it. If I think it's valid, I'll send it to Dorothy for final verification, and she will reach out to you and book you. I would love to have somebody on to talk about it. Speaking of podcasts, listen to the What is Money pod. Good job, Jack. Oh, yeah, for those who don't know, that's why I started that one, even though uh, Hunter did not all cap it. Uh, Robert Breedlove was good enough to have me on his podcast, What is Money. That dropped last night, I think, on YouTube, and I'm probably in his podcast feed by now as well. Uh, I really like Robert Breedlove. I think he's an incredibly smart person, incredibly deep person who really understands the Bitcoin space. And if you've never listened to like the the Sailor series, it's like 13 podcasts all over an hour each that Robert did with Michael Sailor. You need to go listen to it because it will change. I wouldn't have to have the conversation I did with you today if you had listened to that. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, or some of you anyway, not picking on anybody. TRL Inc. says putting the stock market on blockchain would be a cool way to own your stocks. Sort of. Sort of. The issue is you're still dealing with a regulated entity and you're still counting on the company to be worth the money. And you still have to have a counterparty to sell the stock to. You wouldn't be able to spend the stock like money, but it'd be interesting That's for sure. Here's the thing about blockchains, though, that people don't realize. They're great for censorship resistance. They're great to be decentralized and therefore have the defensibility. But they're complicated and they're hard and they're slow. And when you hear, like, well, this one does it in three-tenths of a second. It could do nine bigzillion. It's proof of stake instead of proof of work. Okay, it's centralized. It's the illusion of decentralization. If your crypto that you're proud of has a CEO, it is not decentralized. If there's one or two people that can make a decision and change everything and nobody can do anything about it except accept it, it is not decentralized. If your crypto is run by staking, it is centralized. It is a recreation of the fiat system. That's how fiat works. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to put an auditable blockchain to work so you could see what these assholes are doing with this high-frequency stock trading that brings no value. It is nothing but a money grift. Many of you don't know this. You talk about scams. There are companies that pay more money for a computer bank in a data center on the, you know, the, 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 the side of the building that's closer to the New York Stock Exchange, so their fiber optic cable's a few feet shorter, so they can front-end run the automated trading against the guy that bought the one on the far side of the building. It's called high-frequency trading. It brings no value to anybody. It is legalized plunder, and it's done every day, every second that the market's open. That's that's the that's That's the... Result of so it'd be interesting if we could blockchain that to the point where it would become auditable who's doing what. They would probably they would probably do a lot better in making the rich pay their fair share if they did that than hiring eighty seven thousand IRS agents to go through poor people's freaking uh, taxes to send them letters of demand because they left off uh, something they sold on Etsy for six hundred bucks. When you get a treasure, is it the same 12 words you use with Exodus to set up? No, no. It will have, and in fact, it has 18 words. The treasure uses an 18 word passphrase for additional security. And what will happen if you pair it with Exodus? When you're in Exodus, you'll have a thing up that you can select. And it will be things that are in Exodus 
and things that are being managed by your hardware wallet, and they will have two separate keyword phrases. And you'll be able to open Exodus without your hardware wallet, toggle over and see how much is in your hardware wallet. You just can't send it without plugging in the hardware wallet. And you can click receive and generate a new address to receive to the hardware wallet. You just can't send from it. But it's two separate passphrases. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. Uh, JD Draft sold some Bitcoin at a loss last year. Wouldn't you know it? Dang, if I didn't knock a chunk off the money I owed the IRS and increase my state refund. That's good. But I think one of the very important other things to understand about Bitcoin and crypto in general, until the government gets off its ass and passes some sort of legislation that fits. And I'm, when I say get off its ass, I don't mean I want them to do it. I mean that they keep talking about it and they're very slow to do anything, which is good. But eventually they'll 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 have some major crypto Bitcoin regulation. And when they do, they are going to close this loophole because it costs them a lot of money. It's called the wash rule. So what JD could have done, and I don't know if he did or not, he could have sold his Bitcoin, recorded the loss, five seconds later bought the Bitcoin back, still recorded the loss, and still reduced his tax burden and not actually been out any Bitcoin. You would have been out, you know, two trades, a few bucks on both sides of it. And you you basically captured the loss and then you used it because what I, what I mean by wash rule is if you sell a stock, let's say that I own Ford stock and it shit the bed this year. And I was I wanted to hold Ford long term. I thought it was a temporary correction like Bitcoin always is. If I sold the Ford stock, I have to wait and I don't remember if it's 60 days or 30 days, it's a, it's at least 30 days, but I think it might be 60. And it has to wash before I can buy it back. So I could sell Ford and buy Chevy, but I can't sell Ford and buy Ford back right away. But I can sell Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin back. I can sell Litecoin and buy Litecoin back. I can sell Monero and buy Monero back. And I can tax harvest the loss with it. And we should be using that until they close it. And I can't get into a full on how Bitcoin taxes work today. But the important thing to know is that you have to manage your Bitcoin either first in, first out, which means if you have Bitcoin you bought five years ago, you have to use that as your basis. Or you have to manage by UTXO, which means manage by address. And this is why it makes a lot of sense maybe to have more than one wallet or at least track your addresses and, 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 and kind of divide things up so that the stuff you bought most recently should some way be segregated from the stuff you bought five years ago so that if you get a tax loss opportunity, you can capitalize on just the parts that make sense for you to take uh, the loss on. Let's see what else we have. Uh, John says, my father tried to get me to buy Bitcoin when it was five bucks. Never did. But some podcaster convinced me to do that 60K. You listen to your old man. That's rare. The dad telling the, the son to buy Bitcoin. And I didn't convince you to buy it at 60K. I tried to convince you to buy it at 1300. I tried to convince you to buy it at 15,000. I tried to convince you. What happened was eventually you got FOMO in. And that's why I recommend DCA. Because you shouldn't take a big lump sum. If, if, if Bitcoin ends up a year from now at a new all-time high, 
And that's the first Bitcoin you buy. You better go easy, bro. And I know y'all do it. I say it all the time. When Bitcoin price goes way up, all my referral income goes up. When Bitcoin's in the accumulation trough and I'm like, this is the time, you know, I get one, two, three referrals a week. When Bitcoin was like over 45, from the time it went over 45 till it went back down into the 30s, I was getting five to 10 referrals sometimes a day of people jumping in. While I'm going, be careful right now. Be careful right now. You know, when you're at all time highs, that's where you, it doesn't mean you don't buy any at all. And how far off is that all time high from the previous high? That's another thing to look at. So when we go ramping back up, when we're $5,000 over the previous all time high, I'm not that worried. We end up $200,000, $300,000 past it. We end up $50,000 past it. You got to be a little more cautious. Don't FOMO. Take your time. And he says, I thank you for it anyway. Well, good. I'm glad. I hope you've been buying wallets coming down. Thoughts on the recent JPEG in the Bitcoin chain. So that's the ordinals thing. I don't know a lot about it. I'm not worried about it. I don't care. 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 Right? Bitcoin maxis attack each other all through the bear market. We disagree about some NFT bullshit and all the shit coiners come out and tell us it's the end of all for Bitcoin. Sorry, guys. Bitcoin's bigger than that. It's not worth worrying about. Move on with your life or participate in it. It's up to you. Um, thanks. So send from Exodus to Trezor. Uh, no. So when you set up your Trezor and pair it with Exodus, you could send it. But there's literally a transfer button. Like, I want to transfer my Bitcoin from Exodus to my hardware wallet. It's that simple. And I recommend that the first transfer be a small piece to make sure you're, it's all working and you're comfortable with it. And then bring it over as you see fit. Um, but that's how that works. Uh, Carl said, you have a link to a resource about managing Bitcoin tax reporting by UTXF? No. It's, but it's a simple rule. It's a simple rule. The rule is this. You can manage first in, first out, or you can manage by UTXO. It's up to you to figure out how to manage by UTXO, though. They don't tell you how to do it. And it's a lot easier if you're doing something like running your own node and an independent wallet like Zeus than if you're using Exodus, right? The other way to do it, though, is that you, you get multiple wallets and you have, like, one for each year of accumulation or something like that, that, that isolates them by itself. There's ways to even do it with a single hardware wallet and isolate it, but I can't get into that today. But the key is, this is the, this is the, the other side. This is the gotcha. It's not like gotcha, it just is. You must do one for the entire tax year. You can't do a sale and use first in, first out in January, and then do a sale in November and do manage by UTXO. Every trade that year has to be managed under one or the other, right? And it does, you don't have to declare it until you pay taxes in the following year. So you can wait to make up your mind. But once you make up your mind, all the trades in that year have to be uh, done the same way. Uh, K-Bong says the minimum strike DCA allows is $1 HR, $1 an hour. I'm not sure. Oh, does that mean you can literally buy a dollar an hour of Bitcoin? 
with DCA on strike. I didn't know that. That's that's kind of cool if that is what you're saying, K Bach. Almost at the even point, John says. So he's almost broken even, and we are way, 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 way low. I promise you, this time next year, once again, people are going to be telling me, man, I wish I knew, and I'm telling you right now. Um, Carl says there's also a high in first out, low in first out. Uh, I think that means aggregated average across all of the Bitcoin from that first in first out. So you would say I'm selling Bitcoin from, you know, two years ago and I'm selling this much of it. Here's when I bought the first one. Here's when I bought the last one. And what's the average of all the purchase? I guess that's what Carl's saying. Um, but in the end, if you've been holding for any length of time, managing by UTXO is probably the way to go. And it, again, I'm not talking about trading here. I'm talking about simply, I'm talking about simply capturing that tax loss. Uh, Grumpy Green Guy says, strike sent tax documents for Bitcoin purchased on chain. I didn't get any documents when paid dollars to Bitcoin address using Lightning. Well, you wouldn't. And you don't get the only way you would get a tax document that's actually a tax document would be if you had trades, which I don't think you can do in strike. So I'm not sure what they sent you. Uh, you might, if you were an affiliate for them, get a 1099 for affiliate income. But the way they manage their affiliate program, they cut you off after you make 400 bucks for the tax year. So they don't have to send you a 1099. So I'm not sure what they sent you. But there is no tax consequences to buying Bitcoin. Not to buying it. Now, receiving it from others, and bluntly, if that's what it is, maybe it is, I would not receive my Bitcoin to strike. I would receive my Bitcoin to my own wallet. That's kind of the whole point, even if I'm integrating payments on a website. Now, Strike is doing things with Lightning where you can let people pay you however they want. They can use an American Express card. You end up with Bitcoin. If you want to do that, I get that at scale. But in general, small businesses... If you're accepting Bitcoin, don't use Coinbase. Don't use Stri don't use any of them to receive Bitcoin from your customers. You know, there's plugins for that, and you're good. Uh, I'm going to answer one more, and I'm going to go. Stanbridge says, does a Bitcoin node help secure the network, or is that only done by miners? It's not that clean. So a Bitcoin node helps make sure the network is secure, from a from two standpoints, everything is as it's supposed to be. Every single node looks at the past blockchain, looks at the current block and says, I see this. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm saying is. And when enough nodes all agree, that's locked in. And every miner is also running a node. That's another way to look at this, too. So the miners are also node runners. The other way that node runners are really in control beyond just miners is that when there's a Bitcoin improvement uh, protocol rolled out, some sort of a software, and they say we've added this feature, and less 51% of the nodes pick it up and upgrade to it, it kind of becomes orphaned and it can become a, it can become a, somebody else can run it as a fork, but it won't be Bitcoin. So you are helping the Bitcoin network by running a node. You're not securing the individual transactions, though. That's mining. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Um, Grumpy says maybe it was a 1099 affiliate thing. Maybe it was. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'd have to see it to know. And I don't want to see it because that's 
personal private information. Don't ever send that to me. Anyway, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you did, remember, there's a lot of ways you can help support the show and the work that I do. But the simplest, easiest one, do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to buy something online, start there. You'll help me out no matter what you buy. You'll also see all the items that I've reviewed. And I own it. I bought it or it wouldn't be there. And I'd buy it again or I would recommend it to you. Same item as I had yesterday, though, the Incuview all-in-one automatic egg incubator. For those of you keeping backyard chickens and what have you, this thing is awesome. It is the best incubator I have ever used. It, I, I got hatches. I, I think I put 32 chicken eggs in it one time. I got 31 hatched. Don't count your chickens before they hatch for sure, but that's a pretty good hit rate, and I'm a novice when it comes to hatching eggs. I'm not, I'm not real worried about it. I'm not all finicky about it and have it all dialed in. I just programmed it, kept the moisture levels where it said to in the instruction manual, plugged it in, and baby birds popped out. Now, the thing about an incubator or any incubator right now is the whole backyard poultry market is hot. And especially if you have birds that are like unique birds or something, you could probably hatch out a few batches and sell, you know, started pullets at a profit and pay for the damn thing. Plus, buy your food for your birds for the year from having one of these. I really recommend you check it out if you're a backyard poultry keeper. If not, well, you can still do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Uh Fold card for buying item, buying items, says T River. Right, you're absolutely correct. There's a link in the video notes below. There'll be a link in the audio notes as well for today's episode on both websites to to get the fold card. And if you use my link, you get like twenty thousand or twenty five thousand sats when you sign up and get your card straight out of the gate just by using my link. And I get I don't know two hundred fifty sats or something. I get something if you do that. Um, and so I would appreciate that. But you can also, if you've been wondering, like, well, what tools should I use for my Bitcoin? What wallet, whatever. If you go to the BitcoinBreakout.com, the BitcoinBreakout.com forward slash tools, everything I use and recommend, if, if I recommend it, I've at least used it. I might be using something else now. But like all the getting started stuff you need to buy Bitcoin, to trade Bitcoin, to send Bitcoin, to receive Bitcoin, to successfully store your Bitcoin, to self-custody your Bitcoin, all of it is available on that page. The BitcoinBreakout.com forward slash tools. And I am on Twitter. Let me edit my Twitter thing. I still have CJ on the Twitter thing right now. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter, especially for Bitcoin content. That would be the place to really do it. Um, I am the survival pod C. Because even though I'm a pretty good marketer, when I signed up for Twitter, I really wasn't thinking. I should have put either Jack Spirgo or Modern Survival uh, on the on Twitter as my handle. But I wanted to get the podcast name on there. And that was as many characters as Twitter would let me use all those years ago when I set it up. If you follow me on Twitter, you will actually see my tweets now, thanks to Elon Musk. Because people are like, why weren't you active on Twitter for so many years? Did you just hate Twitter? I was shadow banned. And I decided if nobody was going to see my tweets, there was no point in being there. Elon Day came and boom, and all my people saw me again. So I'm very active on Twitter now. We run weekly polls as well. Uh, we have a unique one running right now. You can get over to my Twitter handle. You can vote in that poll. I try to run one, one every day of the week that make people think about things. And then on my Monday show, I read the results. So you can do that. You can also catch us on Fountain.fm where we made the top 10 Again, last week we fell out of the top 10. The week before we were number three. 
Today we were like number eight. So we go in and out sometimes. But I would say we make the top ten on Fountain at least three weeks out of the month. And some months we make it every week. So thank you guys for that. You can always send me value for value on Fountain or using any podcasting 2.0 app. I will catch you tomorrow. We're going to be talking about growing uh, your own food tomorrow. I don't remember exactly what the what the guest had out, but it has something to do with that. Uh, my wife mentioned to me right before I went live, I wasn't really paying attention because I was trying to get in here to go live. But anyway, guys, thanks a lot. Catch me tomorrow. Thursday, I'm going to be doing something standalone. I don't know what yet. And Friday, I haven't decided. Wait, Jack, Friday's supposed to be expert counsel. got some pikers on the council. And so I am going to give the whole council the week off. And I've asked everybody on the council to try by next week to get me two segments. So I'm going to be three weeks worth of content is a backlog of expert counsel stuff. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to take a day off from that. On that note, I do have some pikers in the expert council. I have some real smart people, but they're real pikers. They're always not having content in, which means I have room for people that are not pikers. If you would like to be a member of the Survival Podcast Expert Council, send me an email, TSPC Expert, in the subject line, Jack at the com. Give me your pitch as to why you will make a good council member, but know this. I am probably going to immediately give you a subject or tell you to come up with one of your own and to make basically an audition segment uh, to record it and send it to me, and we'll go from there. With that's been Jack Spirit with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Time to get tough when you're there. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. Show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. You don't have to live the way they tell you to. Make your own way, others will follow. Yeah.